and his love is abounding. And abounding means, means more than enough. I want to tell you God is more than enough for any problem you've got. He's bigger than any problem you've got. He's greater than any difficulty that's in your mind or your heart. He's a God of all grace. The Bible calls him the God of all grace. Paul called him the God of peace. He's a God of grace. He's a God of peace. He's a God of redemption. Amen. Thank you, Father, for the opportunity this morning to stand in this sacred place and for the next few minutes share from the Word of God words that will change lives, words that will transform, words that are powerful, quick and sharp and life-giving. I ask you to touch me and help me today to minister, O oh Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen and amen. Oh, come, let us adore him. Sing with me. Oh, come, let us adore him. Oh, come, let us adore him. Christ the Lord. For he alone is worthy. For he alone is worthy. For he alone is worthy. Christ the Lord. Oh, come all ye faithful. Joyful and triumphant, O come ye, O come ye to Bethlehem. Come. O come, let us adore him. Oh, come, let us adore him. Oh, come, let us adore him, Christ the Lord. Amen. Give him a hand clap of praise. Let's read from the word of the Lord this morning over in 1 Timothy. I believe it's chapter 3 and verse 16. Paul talks about his love for this young minister named Timothy. This is one of the pastoral epistles. Titus and First and Second Timothy and Philemon, those are all uh, what we call and group into a grouping and just simply call them the pastoral epistles. They are letters that were written to Timothy and to Titus and to Philemon, and they concern different aspects of, of pastoral ministry. Timothy was a young pastor. He was at a, a great church. Ephesus, when Paul made his first missionary journey, established a headquarters there and went into all Asia, but Ephesus was his central location and his center, center of operation. And he sent out missionaries and sent out uh, pastors and appointed pastors all over Asia. And young Timothy was appointed to the headquarters church, you might say, right there at Ephesus. And the Bible said that Timothy had a very tough time in ministry all right off the bat in the first chapter. Boy, things are going great. First Timothy is a story about great things happening and how to organize. 
he went to Paul and he said, Paul, it's growing so fast, I don't know what to do with it. He said, well, you need to organize. You need to get deacons and you need to get elders and you need to get people that you can uh, let help you do the work of God. And you can give yourself more to study of the word of the Lord and these people can do the work of ministry out into the church. Amen. We know that, that model from the early church at Jerusalem, don't we? And the Bible said they, they just grew and, and prospered and, and got large in number. But the Bible said then when, when the Caesarean rulers, in fact it was Domitian, passed all kinds of uh, laws against worshiping any god but Caesar and against Christians. It, it basically was a hatred that, that Rome had for uh, Christians. But did you know when Paul wrote a letter to the Romans, he said to all, all of those who are of the household in the palace of the Caesar. There were even people that are Christian that were right under Caesar's nose, that people in his own household had been won to the Lord. Hey, if God is in it, you can't stop it. If God authors it, you might as well accept it because if it's done of God, then you can't argue against it or stop it. And this gospel was spreading all over the known world at the time, which is basically at that time the Mediterranean basis. And uh, there were a lot, a lot of missionaries sent out, and eventually that, that gospel spread even to Spain. It uh, is common knowledge that Peter was crucified in Spain upside down because he wasn't worthy to be crucified in the same manner as the Lord Jesus. So it's in, informative for us to know that even as far away from Jerusalem as Spain was at the time, which took uh, weeks to get there, it, but they went and sowed gospel seed, and the result was they had great churches. So we have these letters to churches and letters to pastors. But between 1 Timothy and 2 Timothy, something happened terribly. The oppression and the uh, terrible uh, onslaught of the hatred that Rome had for Christians. Many of them were threatened with being killed and threatened by being torn apart in the uh, Colosseums by the, by the animals and all of the things that, that went on that, that would dissuade people from serving the Lord. And as a result, Timothy was left with just a handful of people. You know, persecution tries our faith. Amen. Hard times, difficult times will try your faith. It really will. It will, it will tell what you're made of. It will really bring out the, the real condition of your heart and your soul and your relationship with God. Amen. There, there, people are few that can say with the Apostle Paul, I'm ready to die. That the message of the Lord can go forth. I'm ready not only to be bound, I'm ready not only to be beaten, but I'm willing also to give my life and die for the testimony of the Lord Jesus. Difficult times come, amen. They happen in our lives. But to retain faith in God and march through those difficult times is part of this relationship that we have with God that we all aspire to. And we can say those things and make our boast say, ah, well, I'll tell you what, I'd die today for the Lord. But if it come right down to that, that might be a surprise. You might be surprised. Because the test of our, our faith, persecution is the real test of our faith. And the Bible said, yea, and all them that will live godly in Christ Jesus shall suffer persecution. 
Well, the world has become so much like the church, and the church has become so much like the world, but there's very little persecution right now. But I wonder if if God is pleased with us in our present state. I'm not really sure that he is. I think he would rather have us being such an obstacle to be dealt with as the church of the Lord Jesus in this world that we would be a problem for those that oppose God and oppose righteousness and oppose morals and oppose the Bible and oppose Christian values. I believe God would have us to stand up and be a strong voice. I believe God would have us to be a thorn in somebody's side. Amen. Because if we're not having any persecution at all, then there must not be anybody living a lot of righteousness. Because the Bible just gave it. Listen to it. Yea, and all those that will live godly in Christ Jesus shall suffer persecution. In other words, if you're not in the crucible of, of the conflict, then you, you may not be what God calls righteous. I long for the church to make a difference. And make a difference to the point that it bothers Satan. That Satan really becomes stirred against the church. Amen. That's, did you know that's the time when the church grows the greatest? It's when it's under persecution. Did you know that in the early days of our history, of our church, that our founder, our, our, our pastor, evangelist, itinerant preacher of the Word of God, J.B. Ellis, when he came to this area in 1917 and had established Alabama City Church of God and Jacksonville Church of God, and he came here in September of 1917. Do you know what happened? They burned his tent down. People came in white hoods that threatened to, to kill him if he preached anymore. But you know what he did? He preached night after night. He stayed right there and established the church. And here we are today as a result of one man's faithfulness that endured the persecution that in the face of all that was going on, it wasn't uncommon for Pentecostal preachers to have guns snapped in their face. In fact, in our area, J.W. Buckaloo had that very experience. And he looked at the person who had come to kill him for preaching the gospel. And he said that your powder won't burn, that gun won't fire. And the man snapped it. Have you got the kind of faith you'd stand in a way of a gun barrel and say, you might as well shoot. I'm not going to deny my Lord and I'm not going to deny the Word of God. I'm not going to give in. I'm not going to... I'm not going to do that. And in, in spite of all the persecution that, that, they, that they would take them, take preachers out and whip them, right over here at Crumbly's Chapel, Church of God, there was a brother that started that church over there. And it, I need to get Brother Ford come tell you the story. The, the Lord told him one night, he said, you need to saw the bed post off of your bed you're in right now. He got out of bed, went out to the smokehouse and got the saw and cut the bed down, cut the legs off of it, and Randy, of course, it lowered it down. They came that night to kill him and shot through the bedroom in there, and the shot went over his bed because he'd obeyed the Lord. Brother Jerry, you are telling us some crazy stuff this morning. 
I'm telling you the absolute truth. I'm telling you all they that will live godly in Christ Jesus will suffer persecution. You won't win the man of the year award. You won't be uh, uh, lauded by the public that, boy, this is a great God. No, on the other part of it, you'll, you'll be falsely accused. You'll be lied about. There'll be all kinds of slanderous things said about you. Amen. And if you can't take the heat, you might as well get out of the kitchen. And I want to tell you, those times I, th I think are in the future. I said, I think those things are in the future. I believe that there, there's going to become such an animosity toward the church for preaching the word of sanctification and purity and forgiveness of sin and believing the Bible and, and having Holy Spirit baptism and, and believing and speaking in tongues and believing obeying the Spirit as the Holy Ghost moves in the church. I believe that day is, is out there in the future. Amen. I believe there's going to be a sifting time. And the Bible said there'd be a falling away. A falling away. What are you talking about, Pastor? I'm talking about people that when it comes right down to it are not willing to go through the difficulty and the persecution and say, nah, uh, count me out on that. I, I won't be a part of that. God is looking for somebody that will step up on the scales and say, I am what I am and I believe what I believe and I am set for the defense of the gospel that I believe and I will serve him till I die. Old Satan's as busy as he can be. He's trying his best to get you and me. But there is one thing that I surely know. He's got a mighty long way to go. I'm glad, so glad that God's still got some children who will serve him till they die. Are you in that group? Praise God, I'm in that group. I'm in that group. Amen. Paul says to Timothy, he says, I know you're in, in the crux of all of that difficulty. And I know that the, 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 the aim of, of, of Satan's attack has got a, got a big target on your chest. I know what you're going through. But said, let me tell you what you do. Remember. Thank God for memory. Remember. Remember what? He said, remember how that I laid my hands on you. And remember how your mama set you on her knee. And remember how your grandmother, Eunice, set you on her knee and taught you the Word of God when you were a child. And remember that day we laid hands on you and consecrated you to God and said the longest day Timothy lives, he'll be a servant of God. Don't forget who you are. Don't forget who God called you to be. Don't forget your anointing. Don't forget the Holy Ghost baptism that's in your life. Don't forget it. Praise God. So he sends this letter to Timothy, chapter 3, and he tells him about the, the gift of God, about how the gift of God is so important in people's life and how it's so important for people to know that God has manifested his spirit. Can you put it up there for me, 1 Timothy 3.16? 3.16. He said, the will of God was manifest and that God was in Christ, and that God had a, had a great mystery. And so, so many times people tell me, I don't understand. Well, that's because of the mystery. Look at it. And without controversy, great is the mystery of godliness. For God was manifest in the flesh. 
justified in the spirit, seen of angels, preached unto the Gentiles, and believed on in the world, and received up into glory. That's the gospel right there, folks. God was in Christ reconciling the world unto himself. That God was manifested in the flesh in the person of the Lord Jesus. Now what Paul is referring to is, is uh, what, what the Bible tells us in John chapter 1 that in the beginning was the Word and the Word was with God and the Word was God. The 14th verse says this, and the Word was made flesh and dwelt among us and we beheld him as of the only begotten Son of God. Amen. Hey, Billy Graham tells the story about a little boy and his mother during the war years, and there was a large portrait of his dad that they got before his dad went off to war, and he'd been gone uh, for several years. But every day they would walk in, and they would stand there at that, that picture and gaze at that portrait of the young boy's dad. And one day he said to his mother, he said, Wouldn't it be great, Mom, if Dad could just step down from that picture? And be right here with us. Wouldn't it be good if dad that we long to see and that we love so much that he could just step out of that picture and come right down here and be here with us? Could I tell you that's what the Lord Jesus did for every one of us? He came right down here to dwell among us and we beheld him and had relationship with him as of the only begotten son of the father. So it wasn't just a coincidence and it wasn't just just perchance and happenstance that some angels uh, appeared to some shepherds that were abiding in their fields. And the Bible said that suddenly there was an innumerable host of the angels and said they were singing to glory to God in the highest. If you want to know what goes on in heaven, listen to the angels. If you want to know what heaven is like and what heaven is about, listen to what the angels do. Just about every time I see activity by an angel, they're either loosening somebody for prison or, or either they're rolling back waters of a Red Sea or, or either they're singing. They're either singing or doing some kind of a powerful miracle wherever you find an angel. And those angels were singing, glory to God, glory to God. Glory to God. Glory unto the Most High God. Hallelujah unto God. And the shepherds began to stare upward into the heavens and saw and heard all of that. And the angels suddenly declared that unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, a Savior, a Savior, a Savior, a Savior, a Savior. Hallelujah. Not a philosopher, but a savior. Not a Herod the Great or a Alexander the Great, but a savior. A savior who is Christ the Lord. We didn't need a philosopher because philosophy is not the problem. Hallelujah. We didn't need, need a philanthropist because education is not the problem. We needed a savior because sin is the problem. Hallelujah. A Savior, a Savior, a Savior, a Redeemer, a Reconciler, a Friend, a Prophet, a Priest, one sent from God. Well, 
We've got a bad situation going over in a little city called Nazareth. We've got some descendants of David that are living over there. And there isn't any temple worship and there's not a whole lot going on spiritually. It's been 400 years since we've heard anything from God. No prophetic utterance, no prophetic voice, nothing going on. But one day an angel appeared to a young man who was espoused to a young girl whose name was Mary. She'd been at the pool gathering things and getting water. And as she was there, she was visited by the angel. And the angel said, don't be afraid, fear not. Don't be afraid, fear not. For you are a highly favored person. Highly favored. And he said, and the glory of the Lord and the favor of the Lord is upon you. And said, you will be the mother of God's son the Messiah that all Jewish people were looking for. They thought he would come riding on a white horse. They thought he would be a military leader because of the oppression of the Romans and because of the terrible afflictions and the terrible oppression that the people were under. They were looking for an emancipator, a warrior to come in and drive out those hated Romans. They weren't expecting a baby in a manger. They weren't expecting a child be born in Bethlehem. Bethlehem? I imagine Bethlehem General was a pretty good hospital over there, but he wasn't going to be born in the hospital. Wasn't going to be born anywhere they thought they might know where he would be born. I preached a sermon one Christmas when you're following the star and it lights over a shack. Following a star that stops over a shack. Wow. Star of Bethlehem. You can get tied up in, in all of the things that go along with the star and the story of the star and the wise men. He tells Mary, the angel says, you're going to give birth to a son. And she said, how shall I? Give birth, I've never known a man. And I love it when the angel said, The Holy Ghost and the Spirit of the Most High shall move upon you. Anybody in here had the Holy Ghost move on you? I said, anybody in here ever had the Holy Ghost to move on you? I, I, I was reading some of those early memoirs of, uh, of Pentecost around the end of the 19th century when Pentecost was just bursting out all over the country. A revival in Azusa Street in Los Angeles, California sent evangelists and sent pastors and preachers all over the place and everywhere they went preaching this Pentecostal message and preaching the fire baptism with fire. Holy Ghost and fire. Hallelujah number of the Methodist people got really stirred and received what they call the Holy Ghost with fire. Wesleyan Methodist received a baptism in the Holy Ghost. Amen. All over the, all over the country you were seeing places spring up. You know why? Because they, they got a gift. 
Have you already bought all your gifts? No, nobody in the house got it done yet. The Bible said, but the promise of the Father is unto you and unto your children and unto your children's children. To them that obey him, the Lord will give the Holy Spirit to them that obey him. This gift is for you, it's for your children, it's for your children's children, it's for them that are afar off as many as the Lord thy God shall call. A gift of God. Oh, praise God. The gift of salvation, the gift of a baptism in the Spirit. Oh, our God is a redemptive God and our God is active in redemption. He's active in blessing his people. He's active in restoration. He's, he's active in transformation. He's active He's in our lives. He's in us. He's around us. He's above us. He's under us. He's all around us. And he gives good gifts. He said, if you know how to give good gifts, how much more your, will your heavenly Father give the things of the Spirit to them that obey him? Hallelujah. God is the great giver of gifts. Oh, bless his name. The great giver of gifts. And Mary was so excited about this newfound revelation. I'm going to be the mother of God. Wow. God has come down to become one of us, and the Word was made flesh, and we beheld his glory. Brother, can you imagine the distraught look on Joseph's faith when she told him? said, what? You're going to have a baby? And you know we're not together. You know that not happened. said, Lord, do you realize what that what position you have put me in? I preach about him sometimes. I call him the forgotten man of Christmas. The forgotten man. Nobody. Can you imagine getting your family and everybody, all your buddies, all your friends, know that you're going to espouse, and espousal was just about like being married to him back in those days. And so all of his buddies knew it, the cousins knew it, and all the folks down down store knew it, and all the guys down downtown, they all knew it. Everybody in that little old town of Nazareth knew Joseph and Mary gonna get married. And boy, when she starts showing, got a problem. Yeah, 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 yeah. So next thing you know, Joseph said, hey, we, we got we to do something here. And the Bible said he decided to put her away privately. We got to get you out of sight, girl. You, 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 you're making life difficult for me. I'm dodging people on the street because I don't want to talk to them about it. I don't want to tell them about it. I don't want to talk about it. don't want to go through all of that. So, hey, we, we're going to get you somewhere in the closet or over at your cousin's house or somewhere over there, which the cousin's house had a lot going on over there too because that woman's name was Elizabeth. She's first cousin, and the Holy Ghost done come down and told her, said, you're going to have a prophet. You're going to have a baby. Have a baby? Zechariah, <laughs> when Elizabeth told him, said, hey, we're going to have a baby. He said, no. Nah. 
And the Bible said, and the Lord said, because you laughed and mocked, said you're not going to be able to speak a word until the child is born. Talk about shutting somebody's mouth. Boy, I wish I had one of them. <laughs> Click. Just a thought. I'm sorry. Just a thought. So the angel paid Joseph a, a visit. And the angel said, Joseph, fear not to take unto thee Mary, thou espoused wife, for that which is in her, that which is in her is of the Holy Ghost. Don't you be ashamed of the Holy Ghost. Don't you be ashamed of the Holy Ghost workings. Don't you be ashamed and try to make excuses. Don't try to prop it up. Don't try to fix it, put it in the closet, hide it, whatever. You just be what you are. Amen. Let them say what they want to say. Let them think what they want to think. Just be true to what God has done in your life. Amen. Just be true to what God's done in your life. And the Bible said when John the Baptist was born, they sought a name for him. This is in the scripture. You'll, you'll read it. And he, the Bible said those around him in the room, the folks that was attending the midwives, they said, why don't we just name him Zachariah Jr.? We can call him Bubba. <laughs> let's, walk, let's just name him Zechariah. And the Bible said, Zechariah got his speech back at that time. He said, he got, now I got the slate, that one. Got the slate, did he? And he wrote down, he said, his name shall be called John. John? Why John? Because the angel said, he will be a forerunner of the one that is to come. And said, call him John, praise God, because he'll be a preacher. He'll dwell out in the wilderness. He'll be a baptism guy. He'll be a guy that preaches repentance. He'll be a guy that exposes sin and brings conviction. He'll cry out against the present kingdom and talk about the coming kingdom of God. Repent ye for the kingdom of God is at hand, praise God. So then when Timothy is told by Paul that Great is this mystery, this mystery that God was made manifest in the flesh, in the person of the Lord Jesus. Oh, I'm so glad he came, aren't you? I'm so glad that Galatians 4, 4 says, and when the fullness of time was come, God sent forth his son made of a woman, Did you catch that little doctrinal phrase there in that scripture? Made of a woman. You see, there's a connection there to Genesis chapter 3 verse 15. Genesis chapter 3 verse 15 is, is where the enmity between the woman and the serpent is addressed. And the Bible says that the woman, the product of the woman shall bruise the head of the serpent, that the serpent would bruise the heel of the, of the Lord, but he would be powerful and overcome the serpent and would defeat the serpent. That's 
what is called the Proto-Evangelium. Boy, that's a long word, isn't it? Proto, P-R-O-T-O-E-V-A-N-G-E-L-I-S-M. Proto-Evangelism. What is that, Pastor? That's the first mention of Jesus in the Scriptures. Proto means first. Proto-Evangelium. First mention of Jesus is Genesis 3.15. How about that? Of the Savior, of the saving grace of the Lord Jesus. So when he talks about Jesus made of a woman, what he's talking about is the virgin birth. How many of you believe in virgin birth? You see, if, if you don't believe in virgin birth, this thing won't work. Got to believe in virgin birth. Why virgin birth, Pastor? Because if you don't believe in the virgin birth, we can't get blood of Jesus different from our blood. His blood is not like our blood. Medical science teaches us that not one drop of blood passes from the mother of a child into an unborn fetus. No blood. So that if Mary's blood was not mingled with the blood of Jesus, then his blood is separate from our blood. Do you remember when the angel appeared and sent them to Egypt? When the angel said, go this way to Egypt, you know what he said? He said, take the young child and its mother. He didn't, now if, now if it had been us, we'd have said, Joseph, take you and, you and Mary, y'all take this baby and go here and go there. The Holy Ghost knew better than to call Joseph the father of Jesus. So when he told Joseph which route to go back, he didn't say take your family. He didn't say, he said take the young child and its mother to Egypt. Aren't you glad the Holy Ghost knows what's going on? Aren't you glad that the Spirit of God knows how to work and how to do? And he said take the young child and its mother. Amen. I could give you several other instances, but I got to let it get on something else one thing to avoid is don't let the temporal overwhelm the eternal don't make decisions about eternity over temporary situations Christmas comes and Christmas goes but God is God forever Don't let the temporal overwhelm the eternal. Keep an eternal perspective about gift giving and about everything that is about, about Christmas. It's about eternity. And listen, don't get caught up in how much something costs and how, much, how you are compelled to get a, a, a monetary. You know what the best gifts you'll get this Christmas will be? Something somebody made themselves. In my drawer, in my desk, I've got little pictures. There's one there, Dr. Chalk, that Emily drew when she was in Barbara Day's class when she was three or four years old. And you can't make a whole lot of sense out of it. 
it's just a three-year-old with some color and paint and stuff on there. They, they helped her put glue, some little glitter on uh, Merry Christmas, Pastor. And I wouldn't take anything for that. I mean, you'd probably throw it away. Probably don't mean anything to you, but it means something to me because it's something she made and it's something that she did. Have you got things like that? Gladys, I've got an old knife that I carried around, went to the Christmas party for years, and I would bring it back every year because well, they'd play Dirty Santa, and I would wind up with that same knife 15 years in a row. And I think they plotted against me to make sure that I got that old plug of a knife. It's not a name brand. It's not one you, it's not a tree brand. It's not a boker. It's not any of that. It's a made in Japan. And I've had that thing now, Lord, how many years has that been? Probably 25 that you've been here. And it, it wouldn't mean nothing to you. You'd throw it in the trash. Because you don't know the story behind it, and it don't matter to you. Throw it away. But to me, it's got a story to tell. A story to tell. There'll be many births this Christmas season, but there is one birth that supersedes them all. And that's the birth of the Lord Jesus. And it happened 2,000 years ago, and it's still number one birth of all time. When Napoleon was going about his business of defeating the world and conquering the world, eventually, in 1809, he sat down and wept because there were no more worlds to conquer. People all over the world, you know, communication wasn't pick up the phone and call, and there wasn't any CBS evening news, and all that you got was word of mouth and that kind of thing about what was going on in the world. Usually seaports were where transformation of information was most prevalent. But 1809 is when Waterloo, Napoleon met his Waterloo. But also in 1809, there were some other births. Gladstone was born at Liverpool. Oliver Wendell Holmes was born on 1809 in Massachusetts. The great missionary, Stanley Livingston. Felix Mendelssohn, the great pianist, you know, that was writing piano concertos at the age of six. In fact, Frederick Chopin was born in 1809. There was one more. Oh, yeah. Abraham Lincoln was born in 1809 in Kentucky. Boy, there's a lot of births in 1809. And you can remember that by what Napoleon had done, the worlds he conquered, or you can remember the births of individuals that affected the world tremendously. And though we have a great catalog of people that have moved nations and moved the activities of a planet. 
There is one whose birth affected all of time and every person of Adam's race forevermore will know that the birth of Jesus was for all who would believe and all who would come to the saving knowledge of Jesus. Stand with me, please. So I would say, don't value any gift above the gift of the Lord Jesus. Second thing is don't get into competition about Christmas. Now over on the street where I live, there's one side of our street, and brother, they've got light shows going all night, every night. Brother, that side of the street has got it going on, buddy. How I many of you drive down 349 Wood Creek Crossing and you get over there, and brother, there's merry-go-rounds and there's deer that move and there's everything. Linda, there's everything moving in the world, lit up and sparkling and glowing. My street looks like a city. <laughs> on that side. On my side of the street, there's still limbs there that I had picked up from the last storm that went by. <laughs> Janice, we hadn't even got a wreath on the door yet. Debbie meandered through the other day and said, you want to put up a tree? I said, well, I, now that you're so enthusiastic about it, yeah, why not? I don't know if I want to put one up or not. We're eating at Rachel's now. We're not, I don't know if we're I said, let's put up a tree, you old Grinch. You're not going to steal Christmas. Hey, don't let anybody steal Christmas joy from you, all right? Is that a deal? Don't let anybody get your joy. Don't let anybody get your sense of humor. Be able to laugh at things. Hey, let's just for one Christmas... Not be so serious about ourselves. Not take ourselves so seriously. Amen. Amen. Let your joy and your praise and let your service to God and your adoration of God, let that take preeminence and just enjoy Christmas. Well, I can't, I can't do it this year like I have been. Yes, you can. It don't depend on how much. It depends on how you love and how you worship and how you praise the Lord. Amen. Amen. Hey, did you get it? Did you get it? Got it, Pastor. Last Sunday while I was preaching, Rita, Jane has got one of these watches, a computer, and it was listening to me preach last Sunday. And out of nowhere, her watch said to her, would you say that again? I didn't quite get that. So, my Lord, I'm preaching to watches and stuff now. I didn't know that watch was even listening to me preach. It surprised her that it was listening because it said, would you say that again? I didn't quite get that. So, from now on, when you stick your hand up in the air and look at your watch, I'm going to wonder if that watch is talking to you. <laughs> say it again, Pastor. I didn't quite get that. God, I thank you and praise you.
for Christmas and thank you for our wonderful people. 38 years of friendship, 38 years of shepherding, 38 years of being a prophet. And I ask you, God, that you would touch us, O oh Lord, this Christmas season. May we worship you, Lord, like we never have before. We love you and praise you. And we bless your name and dismissal in Jesus' name. Amen and amen.